Proverbs 3, John 15. And for the sixth straight year, we begin a new year by asking every member of our faith family to seek the Lord for a word for the year. One word, as we say, anchored in the word of God that will become your prayer for this new year. And every year as I seek God for for my word, it's not only a word for me personally, it's also a word I pray over my family. It's a word I pray um, for this faith family. It's not just for me. And it, it becomes hard because here I am praying and asking God to give me a word for the year, knowing I'm going to have to preach that word, which might not resonate with you like it does with, with me, but I, I pray that it will. But just think about it this way. Every word that God has and every word that God gives is never just for us. Meaning God never intends his word to stop with us. God always intends his word to spread through us. So if God gives you a word, it's not just for you to hoard that word to, um, to yourself and just to hang on to that word. It's to share that word and spread that word and tell others what God is, is doing. Think about it like this. There, there are two major bodies of water in Israel. There's the Sea of Galilee and then 63 miles to the south there is the Dead Sea. The Sea of Galilee is beautiful it is full of life it flows from mount hermon and then it flows out into the jordan river but then we have 63 miles to the south you have the dead sea where the water does come in from the jordan river but it just stays there there is no outlet therefore the salt concentration in the water is so high that nothing can live in it even if a fish were to somehow get messed up and swim into it they would instantly um, die and so the, the Dead Sea so salty because it has zero outlet in it. And I think the reason the Sea of Galilee is so sweet is because not only does it receive water, but it also gives water. And therefore, there is life in it, and life throws, flows through it. And I, I believe this morning that the, the difference between these, these two bodies of water make a very good spiritual lesson for us. We are not just meant to be consumers. For if we consume and consume and consume and consume and consume and yet never have an outlet for God's word to be on display in our lives, if we never in a um, very real sense are um, incarnate pictures of the word of God in flesh, we will die. We will die. We were never meant to just be consumers. We are meant to be conduits by which the power of God flows in us and through us, by which the word of God comes to us and flows through us. So as you pray for God to give you a word for the year, also pray and ask God to help um, not let that word stop with you, but maybe even say, God, give me one person this week to share my word with. And it doesn't have to be awkward. Things don't have to always um, be awkward when it comes to spiritual conversation. We make them awkward. And sometimes we make them awkward because we don't do them enough. Um, But we we don't have to make things awkward. We can um, tell people that we were praying and seeking God for a word for the year with our church. And he gave us this word and what it means to us. And all of that leads me to my word for 2019. And let me just say this. As I sought the Lord... Um, for a word for this year, he took me to a very uncomfortable place where he exposed a dangerous tendency in my life. And he exposed it not in order to condemn me in it, but in order to free me from it. And I do not like to admit it, especially in a room room full of people. Um, Definitely don't like to admit it there. But I am a person who is prone to trust in my own abilities. 
I'm prone to trust in my own wisdom, my strength, my talents, all what I would consider my resources, while not trusting the one who has given all of those things to me. I'm prone to act like, and maybe you are too, I'm prone to act like there are certain things that I can handle, and therefore I should never bother God with those things, and then there are things that are way bigger than me, burdens that I know I can't carry, decisions I know I can't make, weaknesses that I know I can't overcome. And in those things, I'm quick to say, God, they're yours. But all those things, that small things I think I can handle, um, I, I don't depend on the Lord like I should. And here's the point. Here's what God showed me is that I must depend on him, not just in some things, not just in the big things, but in everything. In all things, to depend on him for everything in my life. And that is my word for the year, my prayer for my life, my family's life, for this church's life is dependence. That we would be dependent on him. And just think about this. If you were to ask most people, whom or what could you not live without? I think a sad testament is that most people immediately think of either earthly or material things. They think of people, they think of possessions. They think of plans that they have made for their lives. They can never live without those things. Yet God is not always on their minds. Because, let me just say this, we don't see ourselves for what we truly are or as we truly are. Meaning this, and please hear this, we are more desperate and we are more dependent than we could ever even imagine. We are so desperate and so dependent, yet I, I fear that this room might contain not just a small amount of people, but a large amount of people, including this guy, who we're tempted to depend on ourselves. We're, we're, if we're not in an emergency, if we're not in a desperate situation, we're not depending on the Lord. Our natural tendency in the small things is just to depend on ourselves, to trust ourselves and not trust in God. And think about this. We are a can-do people, aren't we? We're a can-do people. We take pride in that. We are a roll-up-our-sleeves, get-the-job-done, do-whatever-it-takes-until-it-happens, that kind of people. And in a lot of different ways, um, that's a really good thing. But one author said this, that this can-do attitude, first of all, is at the heart of our American identity. He said that's why we're called Americans and not Americans, um, because we have this... DIY um, attitude, this do-it-yourself, whether it be in our home or just in the things that we face in our lives. And it sounds good and it sounds respectable that we're a can-do people. It does. Until we realize that we're dealing with a God who has said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And when we understand that, then we realize that this can-do attitude can not only be dangerous to us, but deadly. Just, I want us to understand that dependence is always better than self-sufficiency in the kingdom of God. Dependence yields good fruit. And let me just say this. One of the most gracious gifts that God could ever give me and that God could ever give you as his child is a deep, acute awareness of your dependence and my dependence on him in everything came across a quote this week from Charles Spurgeon, and I'm going to use this at the beginning and at the end, but just listen to these words. Spurgeon says, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. 
Spurgeon says, anything, anything that leads me to lean on or depend on or find myself flat on my back on the rock of ages is a good thing for me. And I would say this, it's a good thing for all of us. Therefore, let me put it this way, anything that makes us more dependent on God than we were yesterday is a good thing, even if it feels like a bad thing. Anything that will make me trust God and depend on God more right now, even if it feels terrible and crummy and bad, if it makes me lean upon the rock more than I did yesterday, it's a good thing. Such a good thing. Therefore, I want us to turn to the Word of God. And I feel the same spirit this morning when I preached in the second or first service. And it's, it's a weird spirit when we preach on this. It's like... We walk in and our sanctimoniousness takes over where I'm not, you're not talking to me. I've got my spiritual life all together. But if we were to be honest and if we were just to drop that mess for a second and realize every single one of us in this room has times in our lives where we do it on our own. We do it on our own. We think we don't need God. And like I said, when the bad things happen and the diagnoses happen and all of those things happen, oh God, help me. But we don't take into account all the little things that we do each and every day to get ourselves in worse messes by depending on our own self and not on him. So what I want us to do is I want us to see how today through the word of God, how desperate and dependent we are for him, always for him. So if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's word. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. And then we're going to look over and read John 15, verses 4 and 5. When you get there or you see it on the screen, let me hear you say so Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this, powerful words, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. And then turn over to John 15. And just, just listen to those words again. Do not lean on your own understanding. Do not trust your own understanding. And then John 15, 4 and 5, the words of Christ, he says this. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Let's pray. Father, we come before you. Lord, we are dependent creatures. God, show us today how needy we all are. God, I confess, Lord, my self-sufficiency, Lord, my trust in myself, and God, just the mess that gets me into. Lord, forgive me, God, and deliver me from that thought process. And help me, Lord, along with every person in this room today to trust you more, to depend on you more walking out of these doors than we did when we walked in. And not just for the big things, but for everything in our lives. Oh God, what a difference it would make if we woke up every morning and just said those words to ourselves. Do not lean on your own understanding today or apart from the Lord, I can do nothing. God, help us to see the truth of those words. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. 
And so I think we, we live in a time, we live in an age, we live in a culture where we are um, quick to, especially in our religious society, accept sayings and phrases that have been said. And oftentimes we view them and say, yeah, they're in the Bible. You know, phrases such as God helps those who help themselves. And if I were to ask most of you walking in, is that a verse in the Bible? I, there might be some of you that would go, yeah, that's, that's got to be in there because that sounds about right. But the problem is it's not in there. Um, you know, we have this mindset where I'll fix myself, thank you very much, or um, we'll make up for our mistakes with contributions, we'll make up or cover our guilt with busyness, um, we'll overcome our failures with hard work, or even for some people, I'll find salvation the old-fashioned way, I'll earn it. We have this mindset where, as human beings, we have to understand this, we are not self-sustaining creatures. We were never designed to be self-sustaining. The doctrine of creation, which means that we are creatures, God created us, confronts us with the reality that we cannot support ourselves. We cannot do it. We were created to be dependent beings. Therefore, think about it like this. Dependency is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of our humanity. So we we would see um, dependence as, well, that's just weakness. No, that's the fact that you're a created being. And you weren't created to be self-sufficient. You were created to be dependent on your maker. All of us in this room, we are dependent beings. Yet I think it's the legacy of our fallenness to do everything we can before we ask God for help, before we ask anybody for help. And it's our own detriment. And I think about this. God has promised grace to those who depend on him. God has promised the grace of forgiveness, the grace of enablement, the grace of help, the grace of protection, the grace of wisdom and perseverance, or the grace of eternity. But let me just make a statement that's going to sound weird for a second. God's grace is only for willing people. God's grace is only for willing people. And as you kind of process that, let me tell you what I mean. We can only be willing when we come to God on God's terms. And God's terms are he is the creator, we are the creature. He is the sovereign one, we are the weak ones. He is the I am and we are the we ain't. It's kind of the way, kind of the way it, it works. That's what we have to understand. Somebody write that down, that was pretty good. Um, but I mean, that's how we have to understand this picture. But as we come to God in that way and acknowledge that his grace flows richly on us. And as I sat down and began to unpack and think about this message this week, I began with like 15 points. And I was like, um, in my mind, I was thinking, what would y'all do as a people if I stood up and said, we're going to unpack 15 points today? I can just imagine just the um, expression on some of your faces. Some of you are like, man, what did he narrow it down to? You're a little nervous right now. And that's a very good thing for you to be nervous. In fact, I'm almost mindful just to say we're going to just get on with the truth without telling you how many are coming. But then I don't want to do anything that would hinder where we're going. So three truths (laughs) um, that reveal our dependency on the one who is dependent on nothing. The first truth is this. And maybe I pray this would, we would not just gloss over this. Number one, we must depend on God for our salvation. We must depend on God for our salvation. Look at Matthew 19. In Matthew 19, verse 26, Jesus says, Um, about salvation concerning salvation with man this is impossible but with God all things are possible in Matthew 19 this rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says good teacher what must I do to inherit eternal life and Jesus says why do you call me good only one is 
good. He is God. And Jesus is trying to get um, this rich young ruler to understand who he is dealing with. He is talking to God himself, God in the flesh. And then the rich young ruler says, you know, what do I need to do to receive eternal life? So Jesus lays the latter half of the commandments on him, the commandments of how we deal with each other. And of course, this um, rich young ruler had the audacity to look at Jesus and said, check, check, check. Yeah, done all those. Nailed those. I've got it all together. And then Jesus, knowing his heart, looked at him and says, one thing you lack. Go and sell everything you want and give it to the poor and then come follow me. And it says, this guy said, peace out. See you later. I'm gone. And he walked away from Christ. In fact, the rich young ruler is one of few people who left Christ in worse condition than when he came to him. Think about this. Disciples are so confused because in this Jewish culture, riches are a sign of God's blessings. So if anybody knew God and was experiencing the blessings of God, it was this guy. And then Jesus, doing what he normally does, completely crushes their thoughts and their ideas. And some of us, let me just kind of... Um, Drill down here. If maybe you're, you're sitting here going, well, if only the guy would have just given away his stuff, he'd have been saved. Then you're missing the point. There's a heart condition where this man had not come to Jesus humbly, nor was he willing to do whatever Jesus asked him to do. He was prideful. He was self-sufficient. He was depending on his own resources. Therefore, Jesus let him go. He let him go. Then Jesus makes this startling declaration in verses 23 and 24. Jesus says, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. And we look at the world around us or we look at our own culture and we go, yeah, those rich people. Huh, they're not coming to Christ. And it just shows how blind we are to the world we live in. Because in the world that we live in, guess what? Every single person in this room, you are in the top 10% of the world's wealth meaning we are rich. We are the rich ones. So before we start looking down and saying, yeah, those rich people, in the view of the world, we are them. And maybe those words are hammering at us pretty hard this morning. It's hard for a rich person, a person who has everything they could ever want or need to enter the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says this in verse 24, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And some people have taught that this needle's eye that Jesus was talking about referred to a gate in the wall in Jerusalem that in order for a camel to get through it, the camel had to get down on all fours and crawl through. And the lesson has become in order for us to enter the kingdom of God, we have to come humbly. And although humility is absolutely required to enter the kingdom of God, there is no record of, a, of such a gate until at least the 9th century, and some scholars say it didn't come about until the 19th century that this came up with. So although we know that pride is an absolute hindrance to people entering the kingdom of God, understand this, Jesus is not just here talking about humility, he is talking about an impossibility. And what, what I mean by that is this, it's not just hard for this man to enter the kingdom of heaven, it's impossible. It's impossible. And so the disciples are confused and they say, well, then who can be saved? If this guy can't get it, then who in the world can be saved? And Jesus says, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And I want you to understand this. Salvation is not just impossible with this man. Salvation is impossible for every man. And for every woman in this room, in this world, 
who has ever lived and who ever will live. Salvation is impossible for us. Jesus says, with man, but with God. The word with means literally beside. So Jesus is saying this, if you take your stand beside man on the question of salvation, you will miss it. But if you take your stand on the side of God and what he defines salvation to be, you will have it forever. And let me just say this again very clearly. On our own, it is impossible for us to do anything to earn our salvation. We need God to do the impossible. Thankfully, praise God, he has. He has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. Think about what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 2. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a a result of what? It's not works. It's not anything you could do. It's not your own. And let me just kind of walk through something that many of you might find difficult. All of us, at one time or another, maybe have heard this um, analogy about our salvation, that we were drowning in this sea of sin, and we were fighting, doing everything that we could, and Jesus comes by in a boat, and he throws us a life preserver, and we grabbed a hold of it, and we pulled ourselves, and he pulled us into the boat and brought us in, and we are safe, and we are saved. And we love that analogy, but that's not what we read in Ephesians 2. In Ephesians 2, Jesus in the boat isn't going along, seeing us fighting and wrestling. In Ephesians 2, Jesus sees us, we're floating face down in the water, dead. Dead. We have no life in us. And Jesus pulls our lifeless bodies into the boat and he breathes into us his eternal life. By his grace, we are saved. Now, some of you are struggling right now going, well, hang on a second. There's something I have to do for salvation. Yes. Let me tell you your part for salvation. You have done all the sinning. And God does all the saving. In fact, or put it this way, you did the sinning that required salvation to be a possibility. That's what we do. We sin and mess up requiring God to save us. Salvation is not a reward for good behavior. It's not because we were less bad than somebody else. We live in a culture that says all you have to do to get to heaven is to die and not be worse than Hitler. And if you do those two things, you're good. Just die, don't be Hitler. Die, don't be Hitler, I'm in. But that is not what the Word of God tells us. In fact, one of my favorite analogies for salvation, and Brother Michael mentioned this a few Wednesday nights ago, Put a chair right here, this chair. So think of this chair as representing the work of Christ. This chair, Christ did for us what we could never do for ourselves. He took our sin upon him. He died for our sin. He lived a perfect life. He raised from the dead that whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. There are so many people, brothers and sisters, who will stand all around this chair saying, I believe in Jesus I believe Jesus came. I believe he's a good person. I believe he died for our sins. I believe this. I believe that. I believe something else. But guess what? They will never sit down in the chair. Meaning they will never trust Christ alone for their salvation. They will always think it's about what I believe, what I think, what I know, what I can do, what I have done. And they will never, ever, ever sit They'll never lean all of themselves upon what Christ has done. Let me just put it this way. Salvation comes when God, through His Holy Spirit, opens our eyes to see 
our own sinfulness, that we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that we cannot save ourselves. And when we realize that, that we are in desperate need of someone to do for us what we could not do for ourselves, and that Christ has done that, then all of a sudden, in that moment, we find ourselves in a new posture. We find ourselves sitting or resting in what Christ has done, meaning we are now in this chair trusting Christ for salvation. Think of it like this, and you've heard this question before, but if you were to stand before God and God were to say, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? I want you to think about that for a second. And let me just say this, and I'm going to say this with as much love and compassion as I can. If the first things out of your mouth, or the first words out of your mouth is, well, because I did this, or because I did that, then you are setting yourself up to fall short. Because you might just be trusting in something that you have done. And anything that we do, brothers and sisters, will always fall short. It will always fall short of what God has done. So what is our response? What is the saving response? And this isn't something that all of a sudden, I'm going to write this down so one day when I stand before God, I'm going to have the answer. No, when we stand before God, um, we aren't just going to have these words if that wasn't a part of our life. But our answer is, why should I let you into my kingdom or into heaven? The answer is this, Jesus Because of Jesus, because I trusted what he did for me on the cross. I trusted him then. I trusted him through my life. I trust him now. I trust him forever. It's Jesus. It will always be him. Which leads to this. There are only two positions when it comes to him. Either we are standing all over the chair, around the chair, looking at it. Or we're sitting in it, resting ourselves in Christ. Where do you see yourself today? When it comes to salvation, let me say this before we move on. Do not trust yourself for anything. Salvation is just as impossible for you as it was for the rich young ruler. But by grace we have been saved. We must depend on God for our salvation. And then secondly, secondly, we must, and let me just pause for just a second because I feel like that right there shouldn't have been a down point. I feel like some of you are like, huh, We were dead in our sins, and God did for us what we could never do for ourselves. You try try for a thousand years to save yourself, and your best works are get you hell forever. But by the grace of God, he has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. And if we can just sit there and go, huh, to that, then maybe we don't know it. Maybe we haven't experienced it like we should. When we say, by grace we have been saved, something in all of our hearts should well up. And there should be a hallelujah in there somewhere wanting to get out. Amen? There should be something wanting to get out there. So we must depend on God for our salvation. But secondly, we must depend on God for His direction. For His direction in our everyday lives. Think about Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. This verse that we just read. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. And He will either make your path straight or uh, direct your steps. Again, we are not a self-sustaining people. Yet it's hard for us to admit that we have needs it's hard for us to admit that we don't always understand it's always it's hard for us to admit that there's things that we can't do it's hard for us to cry out for help it's hard for us to say my life is unraveling and i cannot put it back together and the reason it's hard is because we are or we buy into the lie of self-sufficiency that if we just um, roll our sleeves up and strap our boots on we can make it happen yet the world the word excuse me tells us differently 
Let me just break down these phrases for us today. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust God. Dependence is an attitude where every day you wake up and you say before anything else, God, before anything that I need, I need you. I need you, God. I need you. That sounds simple, right? We trust in the Lord. But something that sounds so simple is so hard for us to do continually. We acknowledge with our mouth, yeah, we trust God, but yet we deny that with our lives every day. We deny that by the way that we don't trust God. We worry about things we shouldn't worry about. We fret over things we shouldn't fret about. We get angry over things that we shouldn't be angry about. We hate our brothers and sisters that we should forgive. All of these things are not acceptable to the Lord. And what it comes down to is we're refusing to allow our hearts to trust in God and to follow Him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Secondly, do not lean on your own understanding. I could just repeat that over and over again for the remainder of this service. And I feel like I would not have done my job adequately just doing that. Do not lean on what you think you know. I can't tell you how many times God has said those words to me. Many times I find myself laying on the ground with those, those birds spinning around my head after I'm just doing something <laughs> stupid. And God says, there you go, Micah. Again, you thought you could do it. You thought you had it done. And there you go. And that is so us. Do not lean on your own understanding. Let me ask you this question. When crisis hits, when something bad happens in your life, is your confidence rooted in your ability or is your confidence rooted in God? When moments where everything is going wrong, are you self-dependent or are you God-dependent? I think most of us in this room, if we're going to be honest, when things go bad, we don't have a hard time trusting God, do we? I mean, maybe we do. Maybe we have a hard time really letting go, but we're, we're crying out, realizing, I can't do this, or God, you're going to have to do this. But what about our everyday life? What about a, the life of the person in here that nothing has gone bad this week? Everything in your life has been fairly, um, fairly good, got, went as you expected. How did you do this week at Depending on the Lord? Would you see yourself as being completely God-dependent, or are you self-reliant in those moments? Listen, if we only trust God when we think we know what God is doing, we will always have a limited trust in Him. If we only trust God when things are terrible and difficult, we will miss the joy of trusting Him and depending on Him when things seem smooth and learning lessons we need to learn for those difficult moments. And then that phrase, um, again, think about it. Lean not on your own understanding. It's really just a way of saying, live by faith. Think about it biblically. Noah was not leaning on his own understanding when he believed God and built an ark. Abraham was not leaning on his own understanding when he and Isaac took a walk up to a mountain for a sacrifice. David was not leaning on his own understanding when he went into a valley and a giant said, who wants to fight me? And David said... I'll do it. The the widow at Zarephath was not leaning on her own understanding when she gave her last oil and flour to feed a hungry prophet. Daniel was not leaning on his own understanding when he was being led to a pit to spend the night with hungry lions. The disciples were not leaning on their own understanding when they left their professions in order to follow Jesus. 
And Stephen was, of course, not leaning on his understanding when he was stoned to death for preaching Jesus Christ. Lean not on our own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Let me just say what that means. You and I might be able to fix the problem on our own, with our own strength, with our own ability. But the goal of our lives as followers of Christ is not to get through it. The goal of our lives is to glorify God in it. And therefore, if we fix it ourselves, understand this, and please understand this, this concept because we need to hear this. We can't do it our way, and then when we get the outcome, we won't say, to God be the glory. Because guess what the Word of God says? The Word of God says, I will not take your second-hand glory. God says, I don't want your second-hand glory. God will not receive our second-hand glory, meaning if we do it ourselves and it goes the way we want to, and then we go, praise you, God, God is saying, no, there's no praise of me in that. That was all you. That was all you. But the goal of our lives is not for us to just get through it. The goal of our lives is for God to be glorified in it and through it. And that can only happen as we depend on him. And then his word says, and he will make straight our paths. And that sounds so nice until we realize, and I don't know if you know this, the deeper you go into your Christian life, the bumpier the road seems to get. And the more curves there are in it. And you're like, well, hang on a second. Isn't this supposed to be like a smooth ride when it comes to the things of God? Didn't God promise me my best life now? I mean, isn't that what I signed up for? And here's the thing. It seems like the deeper we go, the bumpier it gets or the windier it gets. But yet, in, in the eyes of God and what God is doing, the path is straight and, and the path is clear. Understand this. God's path is to take us where exactly where he wants us to go so that he might receive the glory for our lives. And for us, those paths might not seem straight, and they might, they might seem mighty bumpy, but for God, he is accomplishing exactly what he desires for each one of us if we follow him. So we must depend on God for our salvation. We must depend on God for um, his direction. And then lastly, we must depend on God for our sanctification. We must depend on God for our sanctification. And I know most of you in this room, you know what sanctification is. But for those who don't, I'm going to go ahead and define it for you. Sanctification is the process by which you and I, as children of God, through the Holy Spirit, become more and more like Jesus. So that is the process. We become more and more like Christ. But here's what most of us know. That is an extremely slow process for most of us in this room. Um, comprehending truth, applying truth, denying our sin, um, considering ourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ, cultivating the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, bearing fruit. All of those things normally happen in small increments, meaning most people don't grow, don't grow spiritually um, dramatically and instantaneously. Most people grow spiritually slowly and purposefully. And here's what that means from a, an ordinary pastor's standpoint. That means job security. So the, the fact that we most often grow slowly and purposefully means that my job will continue on to lead us in that slow and purposeful um, uh, journey that we are taking to become more and more like Christ. But think about what Christ says. So bearing fruit, it takes time, it, yet it's something that we'll never do on our own. Jesus said in John 15, I am the vine, you're the branches. 
Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And Jesus says this, apart from me, I'm going to hear you say it again. You can do what? You can do what? We can do nothing. And just think about what does nothing mean? Most of us say nothing means nothing. But Jesus doesn't mean nothing. Because there's a lot of people that don't know Christ that are doing something. I mean, there's a lot of people who don't know Christ that are doing a lot of business things. A lot of CEO things, a lot of financial things, a lot of academic and athletic things. A lot of people who are um, progressing and, and showing off in so many different areas, and yet they wouldn't acknowledge Christ has anything to do with their lives. People are even doing religious things, and Christ isn't even in them. So what does Jesus mean when he says nothing? And what Jesus means is this. You can do nothing that will have eternal value apart from me. You can have nothing. You, you can do nothing that will give me eternal glory apart from me. You can't do it. We cannot produce godliness on our own. We cannot produce that fruit in our lives on our own. Think about Philippians 2. And you can turn there if you want to, or you can believe me that what I'm about to tell you, but I'd rather you look at it yourself. But in Philippians 2, Paul writes, and he says these words, and our flesh loves these words. Paul says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And we love those words because we're like, yeah, I get to work out my salvation and my workout regimen looks a whole lot better than theirs. You know, I'm on the, the treadmill of walking by faith a whole lot longer than they are. You know, I'm lifting the burdens a whole lot more than they're lifting. And we're looking at people and all of a sudden you know, we're exercising our faith and we're like, I'm a spiritual giant, and they're like a little midget. And then we're missing the whole point of it. And I, I should probably say little people, right? That, that, sorry about that. Um, but, uh, you know, we think about this, this picture of what we're talking about. And Jesus, or Paul says this, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And if he just stopped there, we would think, it's my job. But he doesn't stop there. In verse 13 it says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The word work there means energy. So God provides the energy for us to do anything for him, meaning anything you ever do for God, you will never do in your own strength. Anything you do for him, you know, we submit to him, we give our time to him, we give our talents to him, we give our lives to him, we, get, we give our all to him, but yet it is God who does the work. Or to put it this way, if anything good will ever be accomplished in your life for God's glory, it'll be because God did it. If anything good will ever be accomplished in your life or in the life of this church for God's glory, it will be because God did it. And let me just close, and this is just giving you hope that we are winding up by emphasizing how strange of branches we are. We are some messed up branches, brothers and sisters. We are branches who are easily deceived into believing that we're not branches, we're vines. I think about what, what the enemy did in Genesis 3. The enemy comes to Adam and Eve and says, did God really say that? That's not what God said. God, God, you, know, you eat of it and God knows if you eat of this fruit, you will be like him. Now the irony is, of course, Adam and Eve were already made in God's image. They were already like God. But then he says he knows that you will be like him, knowing good and evil. Think about this. You will be like God. And what the enemy was saying in that moment is not you'll be like God. He was saying you get to be God. 
You get to do what you want to. You don't have him holding you back. You get to be your own God. And we are weird, crazy branches who really what we want above, above everything else is we want to be divine. We want to produce our own fruit. We want to produce our own outcomes. We want it to go exactly like we want it to go and only like we want it to go. And if it doesn't go that way, then we get mad at God um, for it. Let me just say this. The branch that is most likely to abide in the vine is the branch that knows that apart from that vine, there is no life. That if I don't stay connected to that vine, I will not flourish and I won't live. I need that vine. Therefore, let me say it again, one of the most gracious gifts that God can give to us is a deep, acute awareness of how dependent we are on him. And therefore, anything that makes us more dependent on God than we were yesterday is a very, very good thing. Anything. Anything that will make us I'm more dependent, whether it be a message like this or whether it be trials in our lives, anything that will make us more dependent is a good thing. And let me close again with the words of Spurgeon. I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. I have learned to value, to love, to treasure. I've learned to kiss that very difficulty presses me against the rock of ages so that I can hear his heartbeat for me. I can understand his love for me. I can understand what his desire is for me. By his grace, I desire and I am grateful for every way that will dash me and press me against the rock of ages. I pray that you will desire that as well. But above all things, I pray that you would understand how dependent we all are, not just in the big things, but in everything upon him. And that we cannot lean on our own understanding and apart from him, we can still do nothing. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to call the musicians forward and we're going to enter into a time of, of prayer and consecration. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you. And God, again, we are not self-sufficient people. Lord, we are completely dependent people. And God, we thank you for those things in our lives that remind us of how needy we are. But God, forgive us for where we forget those things when our lives are good. Forgive us for not depending on you in everything. Father, I pray right now, God, for any in this room today that, Lord, they're not trusting you for salvation, they've never trusted you alone for the salvation. They've never sat in the chair, meaning they've never put all of their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. That today for them would be the day of salvation. God, I pray for brothers and sisters all across this room that are on their own GPS system, God, that are depending on their own directions for this life. And God, um, get mad at you when you don't bless their plans. God, forgive us for that thought and mentality, Lord, and just help us to trust your direction. That you are the one that will make straight our paths, God. And But when we think we're making our paths straight, Lord, we're just messing them up. Lord, help us to understand that there's nothing that we can do to bring you glory. 
apart from you doing it in us and through us. God, may our desire be to give you glory. And if that's our desire, God, the best way we can do that is through depending on you in everything. God, we need you. We need you. We need you. And we thank you for anything that makes us trust you more. Anything that makes us depend on you more, God. Even we want to kiss, God, the the wave and the circumstances and the difficulties that, that press us closer to you. But may those times, God, teach us, Lord, to trust you, God, not just in those moments, but in all moments. God, finish this time. Be glorified today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.